Hello, welcome to the Chit Chat. I'm Rebecca Rison here with Jeremy Roberts, and we'd love to welcome you to the show. So welcome to the show. Today we've got Dr. Amanda Winburn joining us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Winburn. We are happy to have you here. Let's tell you a little bit about Dr. Winburn. She's currently serving as an associate professor at the University of Mississippi within the Department of Leadership and Counselor Education. She has over a decade of experience working with children in various settings. Dr. Winburn is a licensed educator, counselor, and administrator. She currently serves as the program coordinator for the EDS in Counselor Education Play Therapy Specialization Track and teaches courses within the school counseling and play therapy specialty areas. Dr. Winburn also has a strong interest in school-based play therapy. Over the last 10 years, she's been actively involved in play therapy at the University of Mississippi, both at the clinical setting as well as actively conducting research within the field. Other research interests include school counseling, bullying, and advocacy. Her research has been published in journals such as Professional School Counseling and the International Journal of Play Therapy. Welcome to the show, Dr. Winford. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, this is good. Thank you so much for coming on board and being a part of this episode for us. So one of the first things we'd like to do is have our guests explain a little bit about their self and especially their role with in higher education. So could you tell us about, about you in general and then how does that translate to what you do here at the University of Mississippi? Um, well, I am currently an, an associate professor within the Department of Leadership and Counselor Education. So my primary uh, role or function is uh, to teach. Um, I teach in the school counseling uh, specialization area, but I'm also the program coordinator for our specialization in counselor education. And uh, that track is the play therapy track. Mm -hmm. And so I coordinate and uh, run that program and I teach in that program as well. So could you tell us a little bit about play therapy? Like what sure. it all involves? Sure. So play therapy is uh, a specific way to engage and work in a therapeutic way with, with younger children. Our typical clients are between the ages. I've had clients as young as uh, two and, you know, clients well into their, to their adolescence or teen years. And uh, we typically engage in play therapy in a clinical setting or, uh, you know, a community mental health agency setting. Um, but also a lot of times with me having such a strong school background that I will also go into the school districts and see clients um, that way. So I'll deliver uh, play therapy um, techniques or components or interventions uh, within the school setting as well. So counseling, big part of your life, and counseling supervision as well. Did you always want to be a counselor? Tell us about your career development. We'd love to hear more about that. I would love to say yes, that I just always <laughs> knew that that's what I wanted to do, but that, that, would, not, that would not be the case. Um, no, I, you know, when I got out of college, uh, I really wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, and so I took a position as a social worker working for the Department of Family and Children's Services in the state of Indiana and began working with families and uh, specifically with parents and children, um, you know, through those directives, through those programming 
initiatives and working with parents and families I got more involved working with the schools mm -hmm. and the more that I worked with the schools I met a school counselor and uh, she became a big part of my career development she served as a wonderful mentor to me and watching her engage with her students I really just um, drew closer to her and to I, I I wanted to emulate what she did. I saw the way that she interacted with her students and I thought, my goodness, why I've never even considered school counseling before. And uh, wound up taking, we lived in Bloomington, Indiana at the time. And so I wound up taking an introduction to counseling course and uh, just really fell in love with it. My second class was on uh, 9-11. So I'm showing my age there a little bit, but um, I, I kind of went into it at a time, and I think that kind of shaped too. It was, uh, it was a different time, you know, and I just, I wanted to help people, and I wanted to help children, and I saw the crisis and the trauma that was taking place in our country, the fear and the anxiety, and I, I, I just wanted to help others, and so I, I really felt like school counseling was a way for me to do that. So got more involved, became a school counselor, um, worked in the schools for several years, uh, and I was a classroom teacher, then a school counselor. Um, and then uh, the more I got into it, the more I realized that I wanted to take more classes, I wanted to learn more about counseling, and so got into the PhD program, and, and here I am. Okay. I've been teaching, I've been teaching at, uh, at the university, this is my seventh year of teaching now. Okay. And you said you teach the graduate students that are in the counselor education program. Which, yes, we have. Which type of classes do you teach? We have three different programs. So we have a master's level program. We have an EDS, which is specifically for play therapy. And then we also have a, a doctoral degree as well in counselor education and supervision. And so I've been very fortunate. I've been able to teach at all three levels. Um, I've been able to teach in general counseling classes, again, but primarily most of my time is spent in the school counseling content related courses, but I also supervise. I supervise our school counseling students, and then I teach a lot of the content in play therapy as well. Okay, so I know we've spoken to other counselors about supervision. What does supervision in your realm look like? Well, I work with our students who are in their practicum or in their internship. All of our students have to complete uh, 700 field hours prior to becoming licensed. And so we work with them very closely on development of their skills, on development of their kind of theoretical orientation. Um, we also work with case conceptualization. We work with them in the school counseling realm. We work with them on how to build a comprehensive school counseling program and what would all those components look like so that they'll be ready when they get out there and, um, you know, in that first year on the job. Yeah. School counseling looks really different than clinical mental health. Um, you know, in clinical mental health, you automatically get two years of supervision um, when you step out into the field, kind of, you're on a provisional license, and so that continued supervision is built in. For our school counselors, that's not the case. And so for many of those uh, school counselors, uh, you're on your own. And so I feel like supervision is really, you know, very important for them because they're not going to get that continued support 
oftentimes when they get out there in the field. Right. Okay. Now, do you have some teaching experience as well at the K through 12 level? Yes. So um, I am a licensed uh, secondary uh, English teacher. And uh, however, that's not what I taught. <laughs> it seems like that's oftentimes the case, right? Your licensure does not match what you actually taught in the classroom. And so I actually wound up teaching in a middle school. Oh, I've taught pre-K. Um, I've worked for Head Start and I worked for a private school in pre-K. And then I taught uh, middle, middle school um, remedial mathematics. Very different than Very different, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, English and math usually don't go hand in hand, but you seem to have made it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you know, flexibility, you know, flexibility yeah, is key. Definitely. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot in, in all those positions, so. Yeah. Yeah, and that whole range, you know, of working with K through 12 level, middle school, um, and then also graduate level. Um, and of course, Jeremy and I work in higher education. I know you work in higher education in the sense of being a professor and um, fostering the development of counselors and, and so many different roles that you fulfill. Um, and we at the Center for Student Success work with a lot of different students who struggle in college. And that's typically, you know, when they come in to see Jeremy and I, they are maybe on probation or struggling. And since we're in the college realm, sometimes I think it's great for us to remind each other, you know, of, of the fact that college students have a whole life before they get to college. And right. when you worked with, with students at the K through 12 level, um, did you work with any at-risk students? And did you see anything that may have impacted their learning or their progression in school based on whatever it is that they were kind of encountering at the time in their life? Well, you, you know, when I was teaching remedial mathematics, you know, uh, my entire classroom was on some type of uh, modification plan at that time. That was before RTI, so, um, but they were receiving some type of modified services. So I very intensely worked with those children in <clears throat> helping their academic success. Several of them also had documented behavioral plans as well. So often they were receiving services from a team or a collective um, of supportive services so that they could be successful. Then, of course, serving as a middle school and high school counselor as well. That was one of my primary goals was to intervene with students at risk, help identify what particular services would help them become successful, and then to monitor, to, to help assist in monitoring um, their academics and behavior over extended periods of time. So what, what kind of, it, let's say you have, you know, students who are struggling, were there some things in particular that you noticed that may have contributed to them? I, I know a lot of times study skills are emphasized, you know, in college. Okay, if students study harder, they study longer, that really helps, you know, their development. But extenuating circumstances wise, do those kind of come into play? And, and what kind of resources are available for, for students at the K through 12 level who may be struggling with that? Well, you know, I think there's, there's oftentimes these, what children present is not so simple. You know, I think a lot of times we want to make it simple. You know, we want to say, oh, well, if they just fucked up, you know, and if they just studied a little harder, you know, that would, that would rectify whatever, whatever is going wrong. But to me, 
was always trying to truly take the time. Most of the time it wasn't just as simple as a little bit. Maybe, you know, sometimes it was studying a little harder was all that was needed, but it seemed like most of the time there were underlining issues. Um, there were reasons why they weren't studying. There was reasons why they didn't have the resources that they needed. There were reasons why they weren't getting the support that they needed, either at home or in, you know, at the school site itself. And so, um, I think just really, I always try to take the time to truly understand um, and get to the deeper meaning of, of what was really driving um, the child's performance or driving the child's behavior um, in the school setting. So just really trying to get to that root of what was going on. And I think that that's the same thing in, in, at the collegiate level. Um, but really trying to get a deeper understanding of what truly is is at the core of the issue. And, and I have been so blessed to work with uh, four-year-olds and 14-year-olds uh, and 24-year-olds. And, you know, even though developmentally it looks different, um, the the intention is always the same from, from the counselor, you know, is, is we've got to build that relationship with the student regardless of age. And we have to, to intentionally try to seek out um, what all is surrounding them that influences um, what we're seeing, whether that's academics or whether that's behaviorally or whether that's emotionally. So Dr. Winberg, tell us about like in terms of advice, you know, that you may have uh, since you've got so much experience teaching and working with students at all levels, what kind of advice do you have for parents who may have children who are struggling, whether they're at K through 12 level or, or college level? Um, My biggest advice would be just to reach out and let someone know. Um, you know, I always hate it to hear, oh, well, my child has been struggling for weeks or for months and they're not receiving anything different and they just continue to struggle in the same way. And so, you know, no one knows, uh, I always tell parents, you know, no one knows your child better than you do. And so, you know, if you feel like their behavior is changing or there's mood swings or their, their attitude towards their work is changing, um, they're coming home, um, you know, uh, and they're talking about school in a different way or you see a drop in grades, um, you know, reach out, you know, teacher is always the front line, but um, there are a lot of people, you know, around that teacher there to support as well. And so talk to the teacher, see what they're seeing in the classroom. Talk to the school counselor, have them come in and do observations or to speak with the child um, directly. Um, also, the administrators are a great support as well. They can also be there um, to listen, to uh, offer up supportive services, but also to kind of be another pair of eyes for that parent just to kind of see what they see um, is going on each and every day with that child. But definitely speak up. And then if that child is receiving some type of modifications or gets recommended for a tier service, you know, show up, go to the meetings. That's so important um, to be there, to be a part of that team, to understand 
what's going to happen? What, what's that experience going to be like for your child each and every day? Who's going to be working with them? Who's going to be providing those modifications? Whose responsibility is it um, to ensure that your child uh, gets those different types of services? That's very, very important. And then, but also to, to hear um, the progress of your child and if it's working or if it's not working, why or why not? So um, I think just reaching out, um, developing those relationships um, with that teacher, with those uh, counselors and administrators, but then also to be very much a part of those decisions. Um, you know, again, just, just being a very active, uh, having a very active role, I think is so important to, to your child's success. But then my other thing too, here would be my other piece of advice. When that parent feels like their child has reached a developmental point that they can also become engaged in the process, that is so important. Um, these children need to hear what teachers are saying about them. They need to come to these TST meetings. They need to hear about the child's successes. Um, they need to hear about, hey, who's going to be working with them at this point on this activity or for speech or for whatever it may be. Um, and also, a lot of times the child will have thoughts of their own, what they can put in what's working for them or what's not working for them. Um, the parent has to, to, to include and encourage, and I think the school does as well, but we have to include these children to take an active part in their education and having a voice in their education, because if we don't, what happens is we get kids that roll over into college um, the college setting, and they don't, they don't know what type of supportive services that they need because they were never included in on that conversation at the K-12 level. And so if we can do a better job of that, including our kids in their high school years, um, they're going to do a better job of advocating for themselves in college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing that we see, especially with uh, student disability services here on campus, we have a lot of students that we've worked with that don't know what they're eligible for. Mm -hmm. So they have to go through the whole process of, well, hold on, I got to call my parents, talk to them about everything. And it's like, this is, this is you. Right. We want you to be able to know your information because mommy and daddy are not going to be taking the class. Like it's going to be you. Mm -hmm. So if you need extra time on a test or if you need, whatever the resources may be, we want to be able to help you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what any of those are, it's, it's a disservice to you as the student. So that's a very good point of making sure that they're keeping the student involved in every aspect of what's going on in the student's educational journey. Yeah, definitely. We have to empower these kids to right. advocate for themselves because if they don't, nobody else will. And, right. and so we have to, to, to show them and give them a voice to speak up and say, hey, this is what I need. I can do this, but I, I need this type of support or I need this type of modification or I need this type of service. Um, but yeah, we have to teach them. And it has to be taught long before um, 18 and 19, you know, we, we need to be teaching them this at 11, 12, 13, because, um, you know, this is nothing new, you know, this is, these are services that they've been probably receiving for a long time. And so 
Um, yeah, but we have to make them a part of it. We have to quit cutting them out of the process yeah. because like you said, this is that, I mean, this is their education and they, they have to have uh, a voice in it. Right. And speaking of voices, one thing that professors do with their voice is their research on campus. So could you tell us a little bit about some research that you have conducted and where you're going with your own research here at the University of Mississippi? Um, something that ties into this is uh, something that's kind of been pulling on me lately and, and uh, kind of tugging at my heart. As I say, I always think my heart guides my research. And so um, I believe that we as school counselors have an important voice. And that voice is to, to um, oftentimes speak up for the child, because especially when children are small, oftentimes they don't have someone that will speak up for them. And so we have to, to, to be that voice oftentimes as the school counselor. But again, we have to work with that child so that they can see us mm-hmm. voicing and advocating for them. And then that's going to in turn model um, good practices for them so that they can start speaking up and advocating for themselves. But um, I'm a huge component of that, looking at how can we advocate for our kids. Um, I've been doing some research on the role of empathy. Mm-hmm. And how does empathy uh, tie in to uh, our ability to advocate for our students and how specifically school counselors advocate? Um, You know, I think that there's a comfort level in our ability to advocate. I think it's really easy for us as school counselors um, to go to our principal or go to our teachers and speak up on behalf of our kids. Um, it's a little bit of a stretch for us to drive to the um, superintendent's office and advocate for our kids, but we'll do it, but it's a little bit of a stretch. But to pick up a picket sign and go to the state capitol and advocate for our students, that's, that's really hard for us. And it seems like, so our level of engagement of advocacy um, tends to... Um, weaken, I think, sometimes when we start to get into social and political advocacy. Um, Again, when we have really strong relationships for our students, we'll we'll advocate one-on-one. But when we start getting into bigger issues like community or social or political advocacy, um, our voices aren't as strong. And I think right now we live in a time where we've got to stand up for kids. Um, we've got to stand up for um, our kids' experiences, um, and we, we can't just do that in our school building. We're going to have to stand up to a broader audience and say, hey, this is not right. This is what our kids need, and um, we need to step up to provide that, whatever it is, whether we're talking about school district policies or whether we're talking about educational laws. Um, you know, it's, it's time for us to find our voices and uh, not be afraid to, to speak up on behalf of children who oftentimes, especially in the legal system, do not, do not have a voice. Right. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Mm-hmm. So advocacy, big, big deal. Um, and we appreciate you sharing your, your wisdom with us and your perspective. We've got a couple of lightning round questions we'd like to ask you. And since this is kind of going into college and college students' experiences, we're curious about what your college experiences were like. So lightning question 
number one, uh, what was your uh, freshman year like? What Paint us a picture of what Dr. Winburn's life was like freshman year. Um, well, I went to a very small school. Um, I went to a very small liberal arts school um, in Owensboro, Kentucky. The name of the school is Kentucky Wesleyan College. And my whole entire freshman class was probably about 250 students. Um, so it was very, very small. Um, but it was a good experience for me because I went to a very small high school. And so um, I think I probably would have gotten lost in the mix if I had come to a large university like the University of Mississippi. I'm not, I'm not so sure how I would have done in that setting. So a uh, small liberal arts college was, was, was good for me. It was what I needed at the time. And so um, I would love to say I was the most studious student, but I don't think I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I can, you know, I certainly can um, identify with students that um, have a hard time transitioning, you know, that have a hard time of um, maturing and finding balance and um, kind of valuing, you know, their experience. And so I had to work in college and um, like many other students do. And so I struggled, you know, I struggled trying to figure it all out to, to grow up and um, to, to kind of strike that balance. It was probably my junior year in college before I actually uh, did that, but, um, but it, was, it was a good experience. It was a positive experience. Could you tell us someone who inspired you while you were an undergraduate? while I was an undergraduate, um, probably my English professor, Dr. Combs. He was um, uh, old, this little older gentleman, and I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. And he would, he would always show, like, no matter how early you got there, he was always there first. And he always set an apple on his desk, no matter what, every, every class, um, every lecture, he would, he was there with his book and, um, and his apple, and he, uh, he just had such a love, um, of literature, and he just brought everything to life and made everything so interesting that I just thought, how cool would that be to just love something that much and to, you know, that your love permeated, um, everyone else, and, um, he just had this, this cool vibe, you know, and, and just, um, he brought a lot of joy and, uh, just, like I said, made everything come alive. And so he was a real, I don't think I'll ever be as cool as Dr. Combs was, but <laughs> I'll never be cool enough to carry off an apple on my desk, but <laughs> maybe one day I can keep, I can keep going for it. But, um, I think just going back to that, um, his love and passion for literature just, just really inspired me. And I, I hope that my love and passion for working with children, I hope that comes through in my classes. Um, and I hope maybe maybe one day my students will, will look back at me and go, you know what, Dr. Winburn really did love what she did and she loved what she taught and that, that's, that made a difference. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate all of your expertise, like I said before. Um, thank you for all the work that you're doing and advocating for so many, not only uh, the students you've taught in the past, but the students you're teaching now, and then also advocating for the students that your students are helping. Because mm -hmm. I know there's multiple layers there uh, in terms of supervision and, and mentorship. So thank you for all of your hard work. 
Um, and thanks to everyone watching for joining us here on the Chit Chat. I'm Rebecca Rison with Jeremy Roberts. Thanks again to Dr. Winburn for joining us today. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Bye.